And so we need to create environments where people feel safe to express themselves, to have healthy conflict, to share when they don't think something's right without fear of consequence. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by David Hassel and Shane Metcalf. David is founder and CEO of 15.5, and Shane is the company's co-founder and chief people and culture officer. They're also the co-hosts of the HR Superstars podcast. David and Shane, thank you so much for being here. How are you guys? Oh, I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, Peter, uh, thanks for having us. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you making time. And our focus today is the important topic of creating psychological safety in the workplace. But before we begin... Maybe David, can you tell us about your career background and a little bit about 15.5 specifically? Yeah, I've had a very circuitous uh, path as an entrepreneur. I started an ad tech company about 10 months out of college when I was 23 years old in 1999. Later ran off to Brazil and started an adventure travel company for kite surfers that I ran for, for a number of years and was in the beach, owned a dune buggy, lived in a penthouse apartment on the beach in Fortaleza, Brazil. Wow, why'd you give that up? I know. <laughs> he wonders I that every day. Why did I start a tech company? <laughs> what happened? And now I've spent the last decade in front of a computer again, you know, technologist at heart. But I went through a lot of soul searching in my life and luckily came across a number of different thought leaders and ideas that that transformed my view of the world and myself. One of them being Simon Sinek, who, who has a famous TED Talk, Start With Why, and was lucky enough to come across him a couple of years before he became famous and, you know, an investor and, and friend and advisor of 15.5. But his message really changed my my idea that you can combine purpose with profit and build companies that have a, a deeper mission. And then I found things like zone of genius and unique ability and these ideas that, you know, our, our greatest gifts are often undiscovered and they can be applied to, you know, directing toward our work and, and achieving a sense of fulfillment. And 15.5 was the culmination of all of that for myself of saying, you know, could we build a technology company that helps companies succeed in their marketplace by supporting their people and thriving rather than at the expense of them, which I think is the model that that is actually truly the most effective. And so, you know, we've built our, our company, you know, to try to prove out that thesis and then help companies who want to take that path do it well. Fantastic. Shane, how did you and David meet and what responsibilities do you have there at 15.5? Yeah, so, so fun story. Me and David both moved to the San Francisco Bay Area from New York on the same exact day. Uh, wow. Uh, what was it? 2005, September 11th, 2005. And we didn't meet actually for quite a number of years, but it's interesting thinking about our own kind of evolutionary journeys we were both on from the day we got off that plane. I was a coach. So I tried a lot of, I tried various entrepreneurial pursuits. I worked in clean tech finance. I love the clean tech part of that, not the finance part. And But what really clicked in for me was when I met a mentor who trained me as an executive coach. And all of these different disparate threads that I'd explored in my life came together in the coaching model. And I fell in love with it. And so when I met David and I saw what he was working on, which was essentially building a tech-enabled listening platform that uses questions to improve performance and engagement and deeper inquiry and build culture, I said, wow, 
let me get involved. I want to help do this. And uh, they're kind of the rest is history. We've been building this company together for the last decade. And what I'm really proud of is that me and David are closer and have, you know, more, have a better relationship than when we started. And mm-hmm. that's not always easy. The startup ride is a, is a roller coaster and uh, it mm-hmm. tests relationships. You know, we really think that business can be almost a dojo for cultivating relational intelligence and learning some of the foundational life skills like psychological safety. And we're going to get into that, right? We're going to get into how do we build healthy cultures, but it came from our own desire of saying, Hey, how do we, how do we build our own leadership team is really healthy. How do we build our own internal company is healthy. And as a result of that also help other companies be healthier. So long-winded answer, my, my responsibility. So chief people and culture officer, I run all of people operations, talent acquisition, internal management, manager enablement, performance, engagement, comp, total rewards are all under my purview. That's such a great story. It sounds like it's almost like destiny since you guys both showed up it on the same day. That way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, does, it really does feel like that. Your company works with leaders in human resources. So David, let's start with you. Based on your interactions with your clients, what's keeping them up at night right now and why? Oh my God, everything. <laughs> yeah, like, where shall we begin? <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, it's it's fascinating. The first, you know, eight years of our building this company, you know, the refrain that you'd often hear in 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 HR circles was, you know, we just want a strategic seat at the table. We don't feel like our leadership values us to the degree that we are actually valuable. Like they knew their their value, but but it wasn't always the case that that you know they had that strategic seat. And something's really transformed. I mean, we've been in that trend of that becoming more more prevalent of the rise of the chief people officer and the you know and and the CHRO and 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 obviously in companies people you know kind of being the the biggest expense item in many organizations and and the biggest key to success and covid accelerated things by by years if not a decade and one of the first things that i heard from a lot of chros at, right after in the first few months after covid was you know we've woken up to realize that we are now in part responsible for for the emotional and psychological well-being of our people. That wasn't a universally agreed upon idea and, and not, maybe not responsible, but but they have to care about it because there's human impact and there's business impact. And COVID really stressed a lot of us and created a lot of uh, challenge for folks. And then of course you layer on, you know, kind of issues around DEI and, and whatnot. And so what we found is that these leaders have been thrust into that strategic seat on the table and they'd be given probably four or five new jobs, like help us figure out how to navigate hybrid remote work or remote working. If we've never done that before, help us build a diverse and equitable culture, you know, help us put attention on and care for the emotional, psychological well-being of our people while building high-performing organizations and having performance processes and engagement and, and everything. So so I, I think the for a while, there was kind of the shock of overwhelm, and that's what was keeping a lot of folks up at night. One of the things that I was actually surprised at is even though we've been at this for you know a year and a half, this hybrid remote work thing is still one of the unsolved challenges as companies are starting to re-enter the workforce, go back to work. Some haven't done that much at all yet. Some are just dipping their toes in. There's still a lot of uh, challenges to figure out in that model. Like how do we create an environment where people who do choose to come into an office or who are in an office are on a level playing field with those who aren't and don't have you know an inherent advantage? How do we kind of level the playing field for all people where wherever they are and, and create equal opportunity? So that's one of the things that I hear a lot about do you think there's much of a generational impact here? Like if, the, if this had happened 30 years ago, 
everything mm -hmm. else being equal, let's say we had the same technology back then we had the day. So we had Zoom and Teams and all that. Is the, the fact that there's such a difference between the generations causing these issues? It's a huge uh, factor. Mm. And go ahead, Jane. Yeah, 100%. What millennials and now Gen Z cares about, it, it's not that I think that 30 years ago with Gen X and baby boomers, that there wouldn't have been some of the same impact. But I think that there is an expectation from a younger generation for more integration between work and life. Mm. That there isn't this, okay, work is only work. And then the world and the social issues that I experience or that I care about are completely separate. And I think that, that there's a number of reasons for this, social media, uh, you know, all, but it's all blending together in a fairly chaotic, swirling soup that uh, presents a lot of really incredible challenges and opportunities for business innovation. Yeah, no, it's so true. I, I remember like, I'm not going to say what my age is, but <laughs> older than the average tech worker. My sister was an attorney for a, a very big law firm for many years. And when she started, it's like, hey, you work 80, 90, 120 hour weeks. The partner right. says you got to come in on the weekends to do something. You don't even question it. You just do it. And then when she was getting toward the end of working there, there were the young people coming in and she would say, all right, we got to do this for the client this weekend. You know, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 6am on Saturday. And they're like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. So really, you're right. It really has <laughs> <Yeah>. changed. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 and it's, it is. And the employees are in a power position now. There's, there's more employee empowerment than there has ever been. And there's sometimes really incredible things about that. Sometimes as leaders, there's headaches around that. But the, the bottom line is that HR, I think, is we're at almost this crossroads of leaving some of the old legacy of HR behind and transcending some of the nefarious roots of HR. Mm -hmm. And we're just changing. It's just, it's a, I feel like we're in the messy middle right now. And this decade is kind of the decade of the chief people officer as we shift the paradigm of the, uh, let's call it a dysfunctional hierarchy that is about control using fear versus authority that is based on trust. Mm. And so trust is the big thing, right? How I would say trust is the thing that keeps most HR professionals up at night in terms of like, how do we build high trust cultures? Right. And then inherent in that, that leads to, or it's very much related to high levels of psychological safety. And those are the conditions inside of psych safety and trust for people to truly have intrinsic motivation, as long as the other conditions are there, so that people are motivated not by, you know, kind of fear, control, external motivators, but they're actually motivated to do the best work of their lives and bring their best creativity because they're connected to, they have a sense of autonomy, they have, they're connected to the, the purpose of the organization, you know, and some of the other things that Dan Pink has talked about in his book, Drive, and some other research out of Harvard, you know, strong connections with other people, the ability to continue to learn and grow. These are all the things that you'll find more and more, especially this younger ge generation are demanding and they're finding that there are plenty of opportunities out there to work at a company that'll deliver that if yours doesn't. Mm, that's a really good point. You used a good phrase before. You said employee empowerment, and that's really big right now. And I think a great mm. representation of that is the great resignation. It really started making headlines this year, yes. 2021. Record number of employees quit their jobs. So Shane, love to get your thoughts on that. In your opinion, why is this mass exodus continuing to occur? And how are, generally speaking, with the folks you work with, how are HR professionals handling it? 
Yeah. So I think that there's a number of causes that are leading to what, you know, great resignation, but that's great resignation is from the business's perspective, right? Mm. It's like from the corporation's perspective, the great resignation from the employee perspective is the great reprioritization. It's saying, Hey, I'm getting, I'm more in touch with what I really want in life. The pandemic you know, narrowed our focus of what is important. How do I want to be spending my time and who can help me actually live the life that I want to live? Who can deliver a healthy, respectful and exciting and inspiring culture on a more calendar days than not? Because that's what I want. And who can help me, who can pay me well also I mean, that's a huge motive, huge part of this. You look at the billions and billions of dollars that got poured into the startup ecosystem over the last year. I mean, HR tech alone had 13.7 billion invested in Q3. Wow. That is one industry in one quarter. And so all of a sudden you have a ton of capital out there that needs to be deployed to talent. And so salaries are going up, expectations are going up. You know, there's also inflationary psychology at play in the world right now, which is its own kind of interesting thread. And then I think that you combine that with with burnout, with people that even if they actually are in a good position in a good company, it's the conditions are really ripe for people to feel burned out, being in front of our computer for the whole day, not having a loose network of community and social interactions. You know, humans are social animals. We need connection and it needs to go beyond Zoom. Zoom is great. How, how we could have done this without Zoom? Oh my God. Yeah. You know, but so, so I think that it's the reprioritization. I think that companies need to be re-examining their comp philosophy and total rewards. Companies need to be thinking about how do we create systems that support the whole human being. We just, for instance, something I'm really excited about internally, we rolled out unlimited and free counseling for all of our employees and their dependents. Hmm. And so therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, trauma therapy for everybody at 15 and five, and also their, their dependents can take one of the seats as well. And as well as relationship and marriage counseling, counseling for teenagers, and this is one of these things that I'm like, ah, this is so cool because life is stressful these days and work can be a, be a source of us actually going to more of the root cause of our psychological distress and working through some of these things and becoming a more integrated, healthy individual. So how do you overcome the stigma that's traditionally been associated with taking up your employer on the offer of therapy? Because traditionally it's like, oh yeah, we have this service, but everyone's like, I'm not going to do that. It's going to show weakness. Totally. How do you, from a leadership perspective, encourage people to jump in and take advantage of those things and not feel threatened that they're going to lose their job? So first of all, it's all anonymous. I have no idea who is mm. actually taking us up on this offer and who isn't. I see, I see numbers, so I can gauge, okay, cool, 30%. 80% of people are engaging, but that's all I see. And actually that's even not really accurate because we're allowing opening this up to dependents. So really, and I really reinforce, this is for you. We have zero access to the data. Okay. It is illegal for us to even ask the company 
for notes from your session, for instance. Yeah. I'm really reinforcing that. And then I think the other dynamic that is emerging in the business world that really helps with this is that, thank you, Brene Brown, for being an instigator in this, is that vulnerability is a strength and not a weakness. Yeah. For so long, we've been putting on our ties and our shirts and suits, and we go to work as an avatar mm. of ourselves, not actually as the person we are. We say, here's the places that I think I'll be accepted. Here's the personas that I've crafted and honed over a lifetime. Here's what I'm reading from the culture of what's acceptable. Okay, I'll wear that mask. Yeah, yeah. Vulnerability is strength. We're better employees if we're actually ourselves. Yeah. And it's a richer environment. It's a richer experience. It's a more meaningful way to walk the journey than having no intimacy, no connection, no authenticity with the people that we spend, I don't know, 60, 70, 80% of our waking hours with. Yeah, without a doubt. And it really comes back to the term you mentioned earlier, psychological safety. And let's just pause for a second because some of our audience members may not be familiar with what that concept is. So David, can you explain what it is in more detail and why it's important in the workplace? Sure. The term I think is has been popularized by a, by a researcher, uh, an academic, Amy Edmondson. And the basically the concept is that people feel safe to be themselves, to take risks, that they don't feel that there's a, a risk to like their interpersonal relationships or their ability to be successful at the workplace. And I think the opposite of that is that when we feel like, oh, we've got to be careful about what we say or do, because then I might lose my job or there might be some negative consequence. Well, what's, what's the result? You, you kind of put on a face. It's not your authentic self. You do things that might, you know, are going to CYA, you know, you, you do things that are safe and are not going to get you fired. If you think back in the old days when there was this kind of mantra, people would say, nobody got fired from hiring IBM. Well, that was a, a sales tactic by IBM where they would introduce FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And right. And so we better make the safe choice because if I go on a limb here, I could get fired. But there was lack of psychological safety that was driving that whole dynamic. Thing is, if we want innovative companies, we need people to take risks. We need people to actually make mistakes. And we need to actually celebrate those mistakes when they are based on, you know, kind of well-founded you know, critical thinking and, and experimentation, because that's how we're going to move the ball forward. And so we need to create environments where people feel safe to express themselves, to have healthy conflicts, to share when they don't think something's right without fear of consequence. Yeah, that makes total sense. If you think about when people go to their quote, safe spaces, which is typically, I'm not going to talk for everybody, but on average, when mm -hmm. you go home or with, with you're with close friends, you tend to start letting your guard down, you act sillier, yes. ideas <laughs> right. come out, you share things. Yes. And those, there could be a lot of ridiculous things that you come up with, but there could be some real good nuggets in there. And all that stuff does not get revealed in the button down, put a tie on, wear a suit workplace, right? So yeah, psychological safety. Well, and that's what I meant by in traditional hierarchy, information doesn't flow up. Right. Like nobody is willing to tell the truth to the layer above them. Mm. That layer doesn't tell the truth to the layer above them and so on and so forth. And so you actually get very, you have a very low bandwidth of truth telling inside of the, inside of companies. One other thing I might add around psychological safety is that there is a link between psychological safety, trust, and vulnerability. And vulnerability invites vulnerability. So the one big piece of advice I have for leaders or managers is you go first. 
if you are more forthcoming, if you are not necessarily putting on this face that I got it all together and I never make mistakes and I'm perfect and you tell me your mistakes, that, that isn't going to work, right? I think there has to be an opportunity where, you know, you're willing to open up and share about some of the concerns and authentic fears and challenges that you're experiencing to invite someone else to do the same with you. So it really is a two-way street. Lead by example. That's right. Before we run out of time, I do want to come back to the great resignation just because I know we get a lot of questions about this. So David, are there any specific strategies that companies are using to basically differentiate themselves beyond just increasing wages? It seems like that's the initial yeah. response people give to stop the mass migration and, and resignation. There Which is a good be. like like topical solution, but if you're not actually treating the internal bleeding, not going to work. Right. Yeah. And, and especially when that is... You know, there's going to be a certain market wage. There may be companies who pay above market and they are trying to compete for the top talent. And, and, and that's, that is how they're trying to compete, but they're going to have to go fairly well above that for people to, to make that choice. Don't forget what Shane said on the employee side. This is the great reprioritization, you know, kind of reflecting on what do I actually want? I can't tell you how many people that I talked to, you know, I spent a year doing uh, executive recruiting this last year and, and building our leadership team. And so many folks who come to us and say, you know, I've worked for all these companies and, you know, it's been a lot about making money, but now I, now what, what, I, what matters to me is I want to work with good people. I want to work mm -hmm. in a company that's kind. I want to work in a company that, that has a mission that, that is, that is a high performing organization and they have different kind of different priorities. None, none of those things were, I need X thousand dollars a year and, and this many stock options. Like we'll get to that point, but the filter, the first filter is looking for some of these intangibles. And so I, I do think that to be competitive, the first step is to start to listen to your people and then to start to tune into what is in the zeitgeist. What are people looking for? What are the things that actually matter to them? And then, and then, and then put attention into how do I create those things? But honestly, nothing's going to be better than a great culture and a great place to work and a great environment where you can feel like you can be yourself doing something that matters, feeling connected to the work. You know, so it really all comes back to culture in my mind. Well, Shane, do you have any advice for leaders who may be hesitant to make these yeah. types of changes in their organization? Well, well, first I've got just a really practical suggestion and it is to literally ask your people what it would take for them to stay. Wow. That's what, is, what is it going to make? What would make it really easy for you to imagine yourself being employed here six to 12 months from now? And, and so that's a stay interview. You know, we, we like doing exit interviews, but do stay interviews with your people while they're still there. Get ahead of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, it's one of the most obvious things and it's a very uncommonly done. And so, you know, we recently conducted them through our, on the, the check-in, I just created a couple of questions for everybody in the company to answer. And this is transparent, right? Your name is along with it. Um, and then, and then the manager has a deep dive on those answers. And then me as a people and culture team, we look at all of the data and see the themes and the common what's happening and do some analysis on it. And that comes up forms then our strategy of how do we, what do we need to do both short-term and long-term to keep our best talent. And I mean, look, I think there's a level of also accepting that there's, that some attrition is good. Yeah. Like this is good. We, people it can be really healthy psychologically for people to have a fresh start. That's right. And sometimes even if even a great culture, maybe, maybe you're just burned out there and having a fresh start with a new team is going to actually help you. And so I think there's a certain amount of letting go and trusting here 
that is really healthy for companies to do because on the flip side of this is the great attraction mm. that if you get some of these foundational pieces right you can like there's never been more talented people that are open to new jobs yeah you should really spend your time trying to attract people that fit your mold and culture because life's too short why would they want to spend time somewhere that's not good for them and vice versa why would you want to hire someone that isn't a good fit so 100%. find somewhere that are your people. <laughs> exactly. And don't exactly. spend yes. time trying to keep people who aren't your people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, David, what role does communication play in creating a transformational culture or just achieving psychological safety in the workplace in general? I think it goes back to what Shane said before about having, you know, ground rules or values or principles that everyone's agreeing to around this. You know, if if, if people understand that, psychological safety is important to the company. And this is how we're choosing to behave. We're choosing to bring kindness, to, to, to bring candor with kindness is one of the things that we focus on at 15.5. Communicating about those standards up front to say, here's the kind of culture that we are aspiring to, and this is what we're going to hold people accountable to, allows people to I think relax into okay, yeah, this is this is how I this is how I I should expect to be treated. This is how I should expect to treat other people. And so I think from a communication standpoint, anytime you can bring more clarity to that and reinforcement, you can create the the you know the table stakes for the environment to then align to that. Yep. Shame, how, would you add anything? Well, communication goes through so many mediums right now, and so I think that when we say communication, we have to understand we're talking about. Zoom calls, we're talking about Slack mm -hmm. and written communication, Microsoft Teams, we're talking about email, we're talking about one-on-ones, we're talking about one-to-many communication. And so I think that, first of all, communication is the key, because that's all we've got, <laughs> you know, like yep. the ability to be under, to understand other people and to be understood is what we're trying to do with communication. And uh, George Bernard Shaw has a great quote. He says, the biggest problem in communication is the the idea is the uh, assumption that it's taken place. Uh, yes. <laughs> and what's what I love about teaching foundational communication skills is this is these are things that people take with them for the rest of their lives and that spill over into their personal relationships and that's why I think work can be this really cool incubator for human potential because we can teach foundational life skills and become better human beings, not just better professionals. Well, this has been great. And before we go, I always like to do this. We, we close out each episode by asking our guests to provide the listeners with a tip or piece of advice that they can take back to their organizations. Since both of you have already offered a lot of great advice, I'm going to ask you a different question. What do you think HR professionals or really any members of leadership teams need to be most prepared for in 2022? Shane, why don't you go first? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I think that, that HR teams need to be prepared for a continued, highly competitive talent market and to polish up their employee value, employer value proposition, mm. to really think about how do we, how do we stand out? How do we... How do we do something extraordinary? How do we break some of the rules that the business world accepts as normal? And so it's balancing that, balancing a fairly aggressive and competitive talent acquisition strategies with really nurturing their people, listening to the concerns, coaching out the people that aren't good fits anymore, but really actually taking good care of your people. And one of the best ways you can do that is to make sure that they have great managers and that those managers have great leaders. 
That's great. David, how about you? I would say be prepared to have kind of the fortitude and resolve to be working on these challenges for some time. There may not be a silver bullet for how we do hybrid remote work. It's going to require some experimentation. The learnings that we've all had over the last 18 months are going to help. And you don't have to have it all right and perfect because guess what? Nobody else does. Uh, I would say get in community, get together with other leaders and share what's working, what's not working so we can all learn together quick, more quickly. Mm. The mythical silver bullet. <laughs> yes. It does not exist. <laughs> no. It's all about hard work. Well, thank you so much, guys, for being on the show. We really appreciate your time, expertise, and advice. Thanks, Peter. This has been great. Peter, this was, this was awesome. Really, really enjoyed being a part of your, your community. Good deal. Thank you for being here. Well, if anyone listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. It's, it's the best place to connect with me. Okay. Yeah. And for LinkedIn for me, David Hassel or Twitter is at dhassel, two S's, two L's. Excellent. Well, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.